0: Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Jacob, today joined by Nicholas Yu. Hello. And we are going to be talking about Adventure Tactics, a game that he's designed and is going to come to Kickstarter really soon. What days is this launching? July 29th. July 29th. Very, very soon. (laughs) Yep. Before we jump any further into that, let's talk about what we've been playing. So, have you been playing anything interesting lately, Nick?
1: Yeah, Dan, uh, who's he's publishing Adventure Tactics through Letterman Games. He's really been into Welcome to. Nice. So I mean, I guess it's not a roll and write. It's a flip and write or just a right. I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a card, card flip and write. Uh, but yep. uh, we've played through a few of the expansions now, too. I played despite being really horrible at that game. So I don't have a future in housing development or planning. So uh, <laughs> I thought I did pretty well last time. Like, I had like a 80 point game, but everyone else was over 100. So I'm like, geez, OK. Pretty awful in oh, this game, but but I enjoy it. it. It's it's really good.
0: That's the important part. It's just like, I yeah. definitely have some of those games that I never win. It's like, yeah. I, I'm always like last place or like second to last <laughs> place. And I still play them. Terraforming Mars is one of those for me. I, I can never win that game.
1: Terraforming Mars is tough for me to get to the table because... Um... Dan hasn't really played it too much, and my old gaming group who uh, they play it all the time, so they're yeah. cutthroat. So if I try and go and play with them, like I'm going to lose horribly mm. <laughs> because they they know all the strategies, they know all the end game uh, development paths. So it's tough um, <laughs> when you, when you play with a group like that. That's the primary game that that's always on their table, and then yep. you play it maybe once every month or so and then you try Mm -hmm. to compete and it it doesn't work out so well for you
0: yeah i have the same kind of thing i have some friends of mine that also like they they love terraforming mars they have all the expansions they Mm -hmm. play that like as much as they can and they completely destroy the rest of us whenever we play
1: yeah and that can (laughs) happen with apps too like i downloaded Mm -hmm. suburbia on yeah. iOS, and I got really good at Suburbia. So they just stopped playing Suburbia with me <laughs> uh, because, yeah. you know, I had like, you know, it, it sounds really easy, but, you, you know, you play once a day, twice a day. And so through the course of the month, you have extra 50, 60 plays of Suburbia. And that, I mean, think about that when you sit down and play with your friends, like you play the game 50 more times than they have.
0: Yeah, I have a friend of mine who loves to play Race for the Galaxy online. Mm-hmm. and he plays that like he's been saying that he can pretty much finish a game in like less than four minutes <laughs> that's, that's nuts
1: but yeah that just goes you yeah. what the extra extra practice can do so he's he's speed running race for the galaxy
0: exactly and he's playing this against like all these other players who are like you know there's a the whole ranking thing and he's like mm-hmm. up with like around the like 200 marks something like that um but the funny part was that last time i played race for the galaxy with him mm-hmm. i won oh the great <laughs> because of the fact that uh, neither me nor Greg, who was the other person playing, did any of the optimal moves. So he was expecting <laughs> us to do the optimal moves so that he could do certain things. And we just didn't.
1: Oh, yeah. That's the right. Like he's expecting <laughs> to sell and trade at certain times, but if you didn't right, that, that's what throws off his strategy, <laughs> like doing his action planning.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that way, like, yeah, there, there's always that kind of way, especially in like a game that relies yeah. so heavily on like interaction yeah. that you can mess with people.
1: Yeah, I mean that's what they say in poker too. If you know your opponent's clearly superior, you just go all in on the first hand. So they, they, <laughs> you're going to lose a long game, right? Yeah, <laughs> If get yeah, like yeah. a long developed game, they're they're obviously going to win over time. They're just going to win. So you just go all in.
0: <laughs> yeah, just go all in. Like you know, take whichever hand you think that you might be able to like, get, yeah. just first one, first one you got, and go.
1: <laughs> well, I think you just have to do it on the first one. Oh, just the if, first one, if you if you keep going right, they're going to bleed you and then they'll, they'll realize mm. you're going that, you know, you actually have a good hand that time when you go all in. So
0: <laughs> true. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, they are good at poker, so therefore right. they would probably know that kind of stuff.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm not like an amazing cutthroat poker player, but uh, I have a group that, that they play occasionally.
0: Hmm. Yeah some of our friends also play i usually just stay out of that i'm not i'm not the biggest uh, fan of poker they played recently and mm-hmm. uh, like i think that they they had like you know something like a five dollar buy-in or something like that yeah. And someone like most of them lost money <laughs> like one or two of them managed to win but they still have fun so I yeah mean, that's that's the important part yeah yeah
1: texas Hold'em kind of led to a revival of of poker i think among mainstream populace and now you have poker on like ESPN two or whatever.
0: Exactly, you have it on ESPN two. You turn on Twitch all the time, and there's a, yeah. there's some kind of poker game going on. Uh, it's it's just all over the place. Yeah,
1: and uh, if you were uh, ever involved in the Magic Pro scene, like those guys are all uh, card trucks. They're mm-hmm. all poker card trucks. Like, it's pretty nuts. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like you, you yeah. like you're still working with a lot of probabilities, but like yeah. you know the probabilities in one is like yeah, no that that makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually gotten a chance to play the Pirate Republic recently. Okay, we played that on stream, uh, and it was interesting. It seemed like a game that really needed its rules being tightened up. Yeah, like the rule book. I I know that the designer actually released a rule book Mm 2.0 online because the rule book was like not covering a lot of the things, was like leading people to play wrong or something like that, and. We have so many things that we did wrong that we're like, we want to play this again. We got to <laughs> yeah. fix all of this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I feel that pain. One, one of my games, Eternal Dynasty, I felt was a really solid design. Mm. And it's kind of like middling around seven on BGG. And one of the big sw- problems people say, with like, the rulebook is terrible. And going back mm-hmm. and looking through, I'm like, yeah, the, I mean, it really could have uh, done with some some more editing and revision so like that's a really tough thing because it's not a video game you know releasing it online you know what percentage of the people who play the game are going to see it 10 percent, maybe
0: yeah exactly so,
1: yeah it's not like a day one dlc that you can just roll out <laughs> like a video game
0: yeah and you're not you can't even like send it to everyone who bought it or anything like that or send an email because you don't know who bought it everyone bought it in like you know they, exactly. they bought it on amazon brick and mortar stores anything like that right yeah just got to hope hope that they're on bgg
1: right and and, right from personal experience though when you play a game that has like subpar rules you're just like eh, okay you know you're not going to go back and do it because you weren't that interested so uh Mm -hmm. but people who are are like it's the people who who saw enough potential in it they're like okay maybe i'll i'll see if there's something else out there so even people who are on bgg might not be looking for for extra rules because they they just didn't have any investment in the game after playing it that first time
0: True. And I think that that was very much how we felt, I think, at the end of this game where we we're just like I, we want to put in the time to mm-hmm. check out these extra rules because it did have the potential. It was yeah, just like you've got like, you know, all these pirates, you're going around, you're doing all this different kind of stuff. You're trying to, you know, fulfill, and it's co-op for that matter, which mm-hmm. is, we love a lot of co-op games. So yep. with that, it's just like this was right up our alley and coming off of Seafall, which was not a really good like and competitive game of that style we were really wanting to have something a little bit more cooperative and still, like, that sea exploration and like that kind of stuff. So this was scratching that itch. We'll probably go back to it at some point, but definitely with uh, a lot of rules changes since the last time we played. (laughs) Right.
1: Has your group tried uh, Aeon's End?
0: Not yet. It's It's pretty good. It's
1: a really good co-op.
0: Yeah, no, uh, I've heard that it's really good. I actually first heard about it when I was looking at legacy games Mm -hmm. because they have the Aeon's End legacy right now. Actually, someone else who's on the podcast, our friends, Leslie and Hunter, have actually started going through the legacy game. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I haven't tried the legacy format with it yet, but Mm -hmm. the base game is really, uh, really solid.
0: Yeah. I I personally really enjoy co-op, but at the same time, I look at my shelf and it's like, I don't actually have that many. And they're (laughs) all like, you know, some of the basic ones. I mean, Spirit Island is the one that hits the table the most. And then like, you've got your Robinson Crusoes, you've got a few others and that kind of stuff. But there aren't that many that aren't like dungeon crawlers. And yeah, so yeah. like that kind of deck building or deck manipulation co-op game can be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, uh, and that's where we're hoping Adventure Tactics is uh, fills kind of a, a unique niche too.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting with that in uh, just a little bit. Sure. So I think that that is a quick look at what we've been playing. okay and welcome back to dragon's demise so we are here with nicholas Yu, who has designed adventure tactics among other games so first off let's uh start off with just a little bit of a description of adventure tactics
1: yeah the easiest one-line description is that it's a love letter to the video game final fantasy tactics we talked about cooperative uh, dungeon Call games, like there are a few of them like Gloomhaven, Descent, and they have that tactical battling down, but none mm-hmm. of the games that we've seen have the job class system. And that's really, for me, that's the draw of Final Fantasy Tactics or and other similar games like uh, in the Fire Emblem series, you know, Ogre Tactics, all those old school RPGs that, that we love. Yeah. Uh, none of them have that really robust character customization. So that's where I started with from the design. Uh, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we're going to make 20 classes, like 20 classes to start. yeah
0: I was looking at that on the preview game page for the Kickstarter and Mm -hmm. like the fact that you have so many of these classes and like (laughs) I I was actually a little bit taken aback where it's just like you can like add a different class to this one and like you know just keep mixing and matching and and, like building on this and like you know you can make one of them better or you can just like add a different one it's like all right I think that this like you know Beast Hunter I think was one of them that like you know I'll just add this one to my rogue or something like that exactly
1: and and that was the beauty of final fantasy Tax to me like like you could you would just explore like this really uh expansive job tree class tree and that's what we wanted to see represented in a board game which i don't think is is out there yet
0: yeah and the game itself is a mixture of you've got some deck building there Mm -hmm. and then Also, just like tactical movement, uh, like dudes on a map kind of thing.
1: That's correct. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Final Fantasy Tactics again, that genre of game. So the uh, square grids, you know, that was important to retain. Yeah. But I also love card games. Like I always have cards in all my games, so apparently I'm a card fanatic. But I also felt that would be an, an another interesting layer to add to the class building mm-hmm. is that it's also deck building. You get your cards, your actions that controls what your character does. And as you level up and pick different classes, you you know get cards associated with that class. So you mix and match your deck. You you build your deck through how you decide to build your character.
0: Okay. Can you walk us through a turn real quick? How how this uh, the game works? Yep.
1: So there's an initiative system, again, another love letter to uh, the old school JRPGs. Initiative is determined at the beginning of every round. You know, there's an initiative deck. Each character is represented by a card and then uh, the enemies have two actions. So it's called the boss initiative. So you shuffle those up and you lay those out and it's kind of splayed up top, like the initiative trackers in, in the old RPG mm. games. And yeah. then, you know, when it's your turn, you go and on your turn, you can take up to two actions, which is playing two cards generally. But there mm-hmm. are interesting things you can do, like there's some alternate costs, like you're never stuck, you can always move, you can always discard a card to move as an action, to make mm-hmm. a half movement. Uh, some actions are free, and so you have you know, your, your basic attacks, which you need to attack an adjacent character, but that, that also depends on your class. Like the archer's basic attack is up to range 5, but uh, it's 2 to 5, so they can't actually attack adjacent.
0: Okay. Some of the cards you start with, like some movement mm-hmm. cards, some um, regular attack cards, like you're saying. And those regular attack cards, they are determined by the class, like what their the effect is.
1: When you start off the game, you start off with three basic moves and three basic attacks. And right, that basic attack is dictated by your active class. So, you know, the Dark Knight hits really hard in melee so with their basic attack. You know, the, as we mentioned, the Archer has that range, the good range attack, mm-hmm. and, you know, Rogue has a good melee kind of thing. So they all have uh, slightly different basic attacks. And as you go into a different elite classes, your basic attack may also have uh, some special features. Like the paladin, every time they make a basic attack, they heal themselves for a point of, of damage. So hmm. you can start seeing some some different builds and build ideas for you know there there's like a you know a couple of different ways you can do a, a, a basic attack builds. You don't have to rely on all the other extra special cards that you get from leveling up.
0: That makes sense. And with the whole leveling system, mm-hmm. at the beginning of a uh, you call these encounters correct. Uh, yeah.
1: Encounters are scenarios. yeah.
0: Scenarios. Okay. Uh, at the beginning of one of these, do you choose like one class to be the class that you're, you're doing, or do you get the benefits of all of them together?
1: Uh, so you're going to have one active class, so that would be fighter, you know, or wizard or, you know, later on, worm mage, paladin, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's your active class, but you unlock passives through uh, leveling up and you mm-hmm. can kind of mix and match those and th- those, those you, you, you keep with you. So let's say you level up fighter that gives you access to extra hit points So uh, on the character sheet, player mat, you have three passive slots and two dice slots, and those are Mm -hmm. your ability slots. So you can have up to five different special abilities, which are unlocked through leveling up. So those will always stay with you, and you can Mm -hmm. change class. But your active class will, will determine your basic movement and your basic attack. Okay but you retain the cards and the abilities from everything that you've leveled up through.
0: That was about to be my next question. Is like, <laughs> how, do, how does that work? And then regular kind of deck building rules. You're drawing a certain amount of cards at the beginning and then just cycling through them as, as you go through the scenario.
1: Yep. Yeah, so uh, on your turn, you drop to your hand of four and you play up to those two cards on your turn. You can also uh, sift at the end of your turn. You can always discard a card, so that helps you cycle through your cards if you want to. Uh, and then you drop to your, you know, max hand size on the next round. And as you level up, you know, you add the cards from, from your, your new level up, but you can, every time you level up, you can also call a card. You can also uh, get rid of one. Okay. There's two ways to add cards when you level up. One is just simply add. So you just, you know, add that card to your deck. Another mechanic is called replace. Mm-hmm. So you can directly kill a card when you add that in.
0: Almost like streamlining your deck. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So
1: that, that gives you some, some power to, to customize your character. Yeah, Your deck
0: okay how do you resolve an attack so like you know if, if i was to attack like is it a uh, dice based? is it yeah uh,
1: it's dice based so there are uh, four different dice there are different custom dice you know final mm-hmm. fantasy tactics had like an accuracy system like it was a percentage accuracy yeah but that's not very fun in a multiplayer game like a co-op multiplayer game if you yeah. missed and did nothing on your turn that would feel terrible right yeah so you have d- just different uh, ranges on the dice and also uh, i love rolling dice and i hope everyone <laughs> who mm. loves rolling dice too. So you have different ranges on the dice and the white die is a D3 and there's a blue die, which is uh, two through five. So mm-hmm. it's it's just overall the best die. And there's also uh, the black die, which is very swingy. There's two ones and two sixes. So it's oh, one, okay. one, two, five, six, six. So it's, it's feast or famine on that die. So you have different flavors and you have different combinations of, of dice to kind of represent okay. uh, how, how that action resolves.
0: That's that's really cool actually we were recently talking about just uh, some of the mechanics that we didn't like and one of our friends mm-hmm. was like using dice to resolve actions and I was looking at this, I hadn't really looked at the rules and was like a little bit wary on that, but I, really, <laughs> I like this system of just like, you're always actually hitting, but it's right. just you're determining like how many hits you got. There are, exactly. There's no blanks on the dice. It's just like, you could get a one, you could get a six, or like, you know, you, you can hedge your bets or however. Exactly,
1: yeah, I always want you to be
0: doing something.
1: And same thing as when you fail encounters in this, uh, there's three ways to complete an encounter or a scenario mm-hmm. in Adventure Tactics. One is completing the basic objective, uh, one yep. is failing, And one is completing the bonus objective in addition to the regular objective so there's like succeed succeed plus and then failure and no matter what though your character is always advancing so Mm -hmm. you can fail forward and and still progress the level but failing a scenario usually means uh, fewer rewards and also it can sometimes pigeonhole you into a specific path in the campaign
0: okay So with that, actually, perfect segue to talk about the campaign itself. Mm -hmm. It's really cool that you have, like, these different choices at the end based on, like, you know, whether you succeeded or failed. Yep. And so is that purely just decided by, like, you know, if you succeed, you go this way. If you fail, you go this way. Or do you also have some choices?
1: No, there's definitely some player choice involved. (laughs) uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the boss keys kind of design. Theory and that's more of a video game one, but like a Metroid game or Castlevania game The Mm Metroidvanias are very famous for this or Legend of Zelda like you get different items that will unlock different paths Like you don't necessarily know what what they are at the time But let's Mm -hmm. say you get you you know You succeed on the bonus objective for an early scenario that would give you say the sewer key or a note Mm -hmm. And then later on you can decrypt the note and that will affect different uh, paths you can take and i also tried to throw in a couple of little small things without you know with major spoilers if you yeah. have a character with at least a couple levels of rogue then there's you know there's a thieves guild you can visit at some point
0: awesome yeah no that, that's also a lot of fun like and <laughs> so seeing like you know oh, i got this item i was like i wonder what's it going to work like is it going to come up and so how many games are in a campaign
1: Well, there's going to be over 15 scenarios total. And there's also kind of an endless mode at the end. But because it's branching, you'll probably play eight through 10 scenarios as you go through the game. And we also try to keep things bite-sized. I think Mm -hmm. the longest encounter is probably 60 minutes, but most of them are meant to be played in about 45 minutes.
0: Oh, that's cool. And so, what is the story of this game? Like, what's going on? Why? Why are we adventurers? What? What are we doing? Yeah,
1: like I'm not uh, <laughs> like a, a world-renowned author. So, there's some like classic fantasy tropes. Like, you're you're a group that assembles in a village, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it's okay. Goblins are attacking, and that's the impetus for it. Like, there's a destiny. Okay. There's there's a Shared fate uh, later down the line, but in the beginning, all you know is that your village is being targeted for attack.
0: I mean, that's a good simple start. I mean, it's yeah. uh, the classics are classics for a reason.
1: Yep, yeah. the titular tower, Domian's tower. You do have to go there eventually, and it's uh, you know, it's uh, also another classic trope of climbing the wizard's tower kind of thing. Oh yeah,
0: yep, for sure. So with this, you have all these different kinds of monsters. I know you have like some Mm -hmm. goblins and that kind of stuff, but there are definitely some other more unique ones. Do you have a favorite monster or would that be spoilers?
1: I think it's okay. Uh, There's a couple of uh, favorites. I'll share one of them, and that's Mm -hmm. the Kraken. Yeah, I'll describe some of the mechanics, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. But this is, again, a very tropey Final Fantasy type boss. In fact, there's a recurring Kraken in there, so that's kind of a running joke. But he has a main body that you attack, but he also Mm -hmm. has separate tentacles that attack you mm. throughout and uh there are various pools of water that he submerges and emerges from so you kind of have to chase him around these different pools of water while his uh, tentacles are attacking you
0: okay that yeah that's that's really cool i mean it's always fun to just have like the monster <laughs> come up in different ways yeah and do you have any monsters that like you know get stronger after you defeat them once or anything like that uh,
1: i mean th- there's like some rage mechanics or you know when the boss gets to half he calls in reinforcements okay yeah and well, I mean, it's early, so that's not too much of a spoiler. But, and there are also wraith enemies. There's one where you're not necessarily meant to win. You're just supposed to escape from them. Every time you mm. kill them, they just respawn back at their start. So you kind of have to uh, plan out uh, which ones you're going to reset as you try to run mm. away from them.
0: Okay. And, and so how does a scenario like end? In terms of like, there are certain games that like, you know, ended when you run out of cards, when you do something mm-hmm. else. Is it just like you die or you win or?
1: Well, for, for the most part, there are ones, as I said, you know, there's one which is escape. You have to get to a certain area. Mm-hmm. But for most of the scenarios, the basic objective is, you know, be the primary boss. So it's, it's a lot of boss fights. There's uh, okay. not, a, not a ton of exploration in this game, which is, uh, I think, that keeps the, the scenario play time down to 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Descend Gloomhaven, you know, sometimes those, those maps can be two, three hours. Uh, a lot of that is spent on exploration so we wanted to have a a different experience as far as that was concerned but you can also push you know how tough the encounter is going to be because there's that bonus objective too which usually rewards you with unique loot mm -hmm. and for one of them that could be you know you defeat all the minions before you tackle the boss you kind of have to let the boss beat on you (laughs) while you defeat his minions first but if push comes to shove and you just need to beat it then you just burn down the boss
0: all right and with this being a uh, deck builder, there there are no like one time use cards or anything like that. You're just.
1: Yes, and no. There are encounter based cooldowns. Those are remove cards. You set them mm. aside until the end of the scenario. So you don't get them back until the next fight. And uh, okay. a lot of the healing cards are treated that way. They have the remove mechanic on them. And that's because I didn't want the fights just to be, uh, you know, cycling through your deck until they get to your heals. Because mm-hmm. then uh, everything just becomes a hit point sponge. You're, you're going to win eventually. You can just out heal it, right? Yeah. But even the most dedicated healer, the cleric and the offshoots from the cleric, like the bishop, most of their heals are removed. So you use it and it's gone. So you can use it to get people up and kind of sustain. But but by the time you start reshuffling through your deck, you're not going to have those heals the second time through.
0: Okay, yeah, that's uh, that definitely puts a little bit of a, like a fire under the players. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> all right, I got up once. It's uh, it's time yep. to time to get going.
1: Yep. And the failure, those are revive potions because I didn't want people to be forced to play healers. Like, I know that's like the Holy Trinity of, uh, you know, RPG design, sometimes they would take yeah. damage healer. And that's probably, you know, the classic, the the simplest way to, to progress through, uh, especially if you only have three players, but there mm-hmm. are revive potions and those are your lives. Like you can use them to pop back up if you get knocked out. But if you use up all of them and someone gets knocked out after that, then you lose the scenario.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and, and does the number of those vary depending on, on how many players?
1: Uh, yeah, it depends on number of players and difficulty level. So there's a baseline experience, which, you know, we call normal difficulty, and then you can make it easier or harder by adding or subtracting uh, revive potions.
0: Okay. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a fun way of doing, uh, you know, keeping everybody alive for the most part, right. but like <laughs> progress and and don't just like, you know, try to hit everything you you might not be able to right
1: and again that that helps keep the uh scenario between 45 to 60 minutes too like there's there's an end in sight no matter what like it's just not going to keep going forever
0: so do you have any kind of favorite mechanic that you've put in here that this is just like one that like it's like oh i love how this feels like this one thing like that that's like your favorite
1: i think some of the uh ways that Response cards work. I really enjoy. Most cards, you know, you, you play on your turn, but a card that has that little shield with the re- reply symbol is a response card, which you can okay. play on specific triggers. So mm. the, the Dark Knight has a damage shield. When they get damaged, they can damage their attacker back. You know, the Paladin can actually use that to mitigate damage on them or some within... Uh, five squares so there's a lot of uh, fun things you can do with with the response mechanics
0: in this game that sounds like a lot of fun i like that. It's just being able to react like it's like I, I don't have to just sit here and take this attack it's like right. i've got something
1: and, and it gives you something to look at you know in terms of board state uh in a game, sometimes mm-hmm. you're like okay i did my turn done next exactly but I, I really want you to feel like you're part of a team like you you know the, the tactics are important
0: yeah and then the gameplay itself just seems really mm-hmm. really interesting but you guys Thanks. also seem to have gotten a really cool artist. I, I mean, I love oh the my sculpt gosh. for the yes. uh, heroes. Like, they're just so emotive. They're, it's not just, like, your fantasy right? miniature that has, like, you know, the, the big burly paladin or something like that. It's like they have so much character.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we have two artists, two primary artists involved in the project. We actually have a whole stable of artists for the other needs. But Jacob Croft is the primary artist, and he did all the character art. And uh, Herberto Valle Martinez did the sculpts, hmm. and uh, you'll know him like he did the minis for uh, Grim Forest and also yep. Shovel Knight. So he, you know, I think people are starting to really have there's a lot of name recognition there. Like that guy, you know, he's so talented. But he actually said he loved the art so much. He was so busy, but he's like, I love this art so much. I I will take some time out to do the sculpts for this game, uh, because there's so much, uh, as you mentioned, character, so much flavor. And yeah. that really translated some of the action cards, too. Those were kind of plain, and people were like, you know, these are boring-looking cards. <laughs> and so we actually uh, started commissioning Jake for additional art, so he's going to be drawing uh, illustrations for all the action cards. And, but that sense of, uh, like, I don't know if you saw like, the rock toss and the charge for the fighter, but he kept that mm-hmm. sense of kind of playful characterization on the action cards, too.
0: Yeah, they, they seem like almost like caricatures of their own like classes. Like, all of them are almost like taken to the extreme, but it, it looks really, yeah. really cool.
1: Yeah, he had a great balance between like, cartoony and realistic. We wanted to be friendly, accessible, but not mm-hmm. like, you know, chibi, you know, big head characters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we also didn't want like grim, dark, super realistic. So Jake was, you know, had this perfect style. And I actually found him on the d d subreddit posting mm-hmm. character commissions. I'm like, yes, this is the style. And I'm like, are you available? Please say yes. <laughs> I will give you there money.
0: you go. Yeah, that that's awesome. Like it's it's awesome how you can like find these people just in the communities. Like it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, just doing some commissions for character artists and that kind of stuff. It's like now he's doing a board game. There we yeah, go. And
1: after he started posting samples, he got hired for another game. So I hope he doesn't become too expensive for us to use <laughs> in the future. <laughs> that's already happened to me a couple of times. Um, oh, man. Like uh, Jacob Rosalski, uh, mm-hmm. he did the art for Scythe. Uh, oh, actually, yes. Yeah, I actually used him for Hero Brigade. My first game, uh, he did a couple of the uh, promotional cards. And then Jamie Stegmar was like, Yeah, that's amazing. Like, I'm just going to use this guy for everything. So, yeah, obviously, he, he's an amazing artist. And uh, Kendall Good, who also did the art for Hero Brigade, he now draws a comic for Image Comics. And the last time I reached out to him, he's like, uh, I'm doing comic books now. So I'm like, All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But
1: I mean, I've, I'm, ha- I'm obviously happy for both those guys. Like they, they've, they're so uh, tremendously talented and they've, they've obviously earned it. And I, I hope that happens for, for Jake too. I hope he, you know, goes on to a very successful uh, art career.
0: Just first get a, get a few games out of him. Yeah, before. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Just, just do some more adventure tactics stuff first and then, yeah, and then you can have your, you can blow up.
0: Yeah, so are you planning on, like, you know, with, after th- you get this game out, are you planning on, like, you know, just uh, adding expansion packs to it um, anything like that? Yeah,
1: we already are going to have a uh, mini pack, uh, which has mm-hmm. three additional classes and at least one extra miniature. Yeah. And that just keeps the cost down. because This game already has 800 cards or over 800 cards. Uh, because, that's you know, it's a lot of cards. Builder, right. And, uh, you know, it's both a deck builder, so, you know, you have all this with, you know, over 20 classes, so that's hundreds of cards already. Yeah. And... Uh, that you don't need a DM character, all the monsters are active cards. So for each encounter, you have another 10 cards a piece. So that's another couple hundred cards there, too. So so that we can keep the the base price at seventy five dollars. We decided to split off some of the, the classes into a, a class pack.
0: OK, but, that makes uh, sense.
1: And we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But I already have like an expansion campaign planned, <laughs> like an oh, okay. map and Different factions. But I mean, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. This all depends on how successful the, the initial campaign is. But, yeah, of course. I feel like the system is, is so deep, the class customization and like the base engine is like a V8 engine, right? Like it can really go. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, uh, there's enough community demand that we can just continue developing and with this engine and in this world.
0: I mean, so far it's looking amazing. So I'm really looking forward <laughs> to seeing how, how it all turns out. So let's pivot a little bit. I want to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about just, um, your time in the industry. So this is going to be your fifth game. Third published game because so
1: I've had a couple expansions. So, but yeah, okay. this will be my, my third core game.
0: Third core game. Yeah. So, how long have you been in this industry? How'd you get into the industry?
1: I've been kind of off and on for the last six years. I think we for 2013. Yeah, that sounds right. And it was a, just a bucket list item, like publishing my own board game because I've loved card games ever since I was a kid. And, mm-hmm. you know, ever since I was in college, you know, 20 some years ago, like I'm dating myself. <laughs> <the whole
0: day. laughs>
1: But yeah, I mean, ever ever since then, uh, you know, one of my friends showed me a game of Settlers of Catan, and I think it's just Catan now. But that's how old yep. I am. It, it was Settlers of Catan, um, <laughs> back then. and that that exposed me to a, a new world of board games. And ever since then, I've always wanted to have my own at least one board game. So that 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 was my impetus for for designing uh, Hero Brigade, and then that led to Eternal Dynasty and now, Adventure Tactics. So I've always wanted to 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 have just you know a board game that everybody loves. So
0: oh, there you go. I think each of these games, they they have one thing in common. I mean, like, you you seem to really enjoy the deck building or, like, at least deck aspect.
1: Yeah. uh, Because Eternal Dynasty, right? It's a territory control game, but cards are a big part of it. Each ruler has a different amount of cards, and that's one of their variable powers. So that was kind of Mm -hmm. like Cosmic Encounter meets Risk type game. But yeah i love cards <laughs> the,
0: the other thing is that uh, one of the things that i really appreciate because one of my favorite things in games is the variable player powers it mm-hmm. seems that that's also a big thing that you like to concentrate yes
1: on. yeah fact, yeah uh, you're, you're right uh, all my games have had that too <laughs> so cosmic encounter is also one of my first loves in terms of board gaming so that's that's probably been uh, a big influence in as far as what i like to see in games
0: so actually that brings up my my next question um mm-hmm. When you're looking to play a game, buy a game, anything like that, what are some of the things that you look for?
1: For me, I look for interesting mechanics. Mm -hmm. And as an older person, you know, full-time job and three kids, too many kids, (laughs) married, um, (laughs) it's tough for me to really play a game a lot. And the same is true for video games, too. I used to be a, a huge completionist. Like, if I mm-hmm. played a game, I would Platinum Trophy, I get 100% achievements, whatever. But now I'll play a game, and this is true for board games too, um, I'll play a game for like 5-10 hours, or in turn for a board game that's like 2-3 plays, until mm-hmm. I get a good sense of it. Like, I might not even be skilled enough to see the advanced mechanics for a board game, but I'm like, okay, I understand how this strategy is going to go. Like, you talk about terraforming Mars, like, I'm yep. not great at that game, but I understand the different paths for victory, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I've played it enough where, where I get it. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to as much time to dedicate to it as some of my friends. But uh, like I understand it, and I, I appreciate it. So that's kind of where I am as as a gamer these days, which which is sad. Like I love games so much, and I do try to play them, but I try to expose myself to a wider variety of games rather than you know picking one and you know be- beating the pants out of it.
0: There you go. I mean that that's very fair. I've also like you know I've luckily been able to set aside some time but between like podcasting and other things oh, yeah. like yeah. it's it takes up a bunch of time. I'm sure it's not even close to like having three kids. I mean that that's that's a that's a lot of work in itself. Yeah. But have your kids started gaming?
1: They're close. They start like Dan uh, has Dino Dude Ranch which they enjoy. It is a uh they're almost 6 so uh, they just finished at kindergarten so they are they're starting to get an interest in it one of my uh, sons is actually really interested like he he's played castle panic uh ticket to ride you, you need to nudge him a little bit if you <laughs> to keep him competitive but like he picks up on a lot of things on his own so i think i have at least one gamer
0: like <laughs> one versioning gamer coming up well, there you go right, 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 starting start them young get, <laughs> getting them yet. into games
1: well and i started young too my my parents taught me like euchre when i was like 5 or 6 like I was terrible, but like <laughs> they, they taught it to me.
0: I had a similar thing. Like my mom like taught me chess, taught me card games, like all that kind of stuff. Like when I was really young. So yeah, and one of our, you.
1: Yeah, and one of our first babysitters, he was old school D D. Like uh, I can't remember what it was even before the Red Box. Like I got started on Red Box my like my first yeah uh, copy of it. But he had just like the the, the base book, and uh, he babysat me and my brother, and he got into D D like ooh, uh, when we were in elementary school.
0: There you go. Yeah. No, that's, that's pretty awesome. I mean, like yeah. getting into D and D like at that point, like, it took me until I think ninth grade because that's when I first got exposed yeah. to it. It's like, Oh my God, D and D exists. What is this?
1: Well, also when I was a kid, there's a real heavy stigma. Like there's the, uh, mm-hmm. like that track, like D and D is for Satanists. Like that—that—that that, that was the uh, real paranoia at, at the time surrounding D and D. But my yeah. dad, you know, uh, my parents were both pretty open-minded. They're like, like he flipped through the book, he's like, eh, "This is probably okay. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah just some fantasy monsters, like yeah, whatever." Yeah.
1: I mean, he he let me watch Predator when I was like five or six too. So I can't remember how old I was, but like he let me, he let me watch a lot of movies, when I like I was clearly too young for them too. So
0: gotcha. So I mean. Good that, you know, he did that and now you're publishing games. You're doing all now this other games. kind of stuff. Like, you know, helps you get to that point, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Whatever helps you get there.
0: Yeah. Currently, this is, I think, your first game that you're not publishing with, like, the same people have seen, like, That's- Zucchini Games?
1: Yeah, Zucchini People Games is, is my company yes. that, uh, when I was oh, self-publishing. Okay. And, uh, okay. But I was distributed, like I co-published and was distributed through Games earlier. But hmm. uh, for this one, this is too big. This is too big a game for me to tackle on my own. Also, Dan is a really good friend of mine, and he's local, mm-hmm. so I approached him on the side, and we've known each other for years, and uh, we always do the same local conventions together. And sometimes, you know, this year we, we you know we travel together to break out, and we might be going to Gen Con. Nice, you know, fingers crossed. But I mean, a couple of years ago, we were like, we really need to work on a game together. And, you know, one of the conversations that we talked about our favorite games, you know, it turns out our, our favorite video game for both of us is Final Fantasy Tactics. And Dan's like, this should be the game that we collaborate on. And I, said, and I was like, absolutely. Yes. And that weekend I came back with like a 20 page design document with all the classes. And I'm like, this is it. And he's like, oh my gosh, let's yes.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, that's uh, inspiration struck and, and yeah. there you go. So now let's, uh, let's go into some uh, some other questions. Mm-hmm. If you were to be stranded on a desert island, what game would you bring?
1: Board game, like physical game, or? Uh...
0: You don't have electricity. So oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Some, okay, something, yeah, so something so physically.
1: I would actually just bring a deck of cards. That's a lot of different games all in on one.
0: That's true. So. Uh, you, you can make up a lot of different games with that one, yeah. that's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. And if I'm stranded alone, there's at least solitaire, right? <laughs>
0: exactly and you can make up all different kinds right that's right what other kinds of hobbies do you have so you do a lot of board games and uh, yeah. video games but
1: what else i mean i used to enjoy drawing i'll still doodle like i'm very dangerous like i'm not by any means an artist but i'm very dangerous mm-hmm. in games like pictionary illustrations like yep so i'm like a good doodler you know i, I played uh, violin for 15 years i haven't been i haven't played touched it in 20 years Again, dating myself, <laughs> but uh, I still love music. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have a friend Corey who's really big into music theory, so we'll talk about uh, different music theory uh, sometimes. Okay.
0: That's cool. Actually, uh, one question that just popped into my mm-hmm. head um, a little bit closer to like the design side. How much do you like consider like different kinds of like game theories like um, and that kind of stuff when designing a game? Like,
1: I think it's important to understand. Like, you don't have to be a master of game theory, you know, but you should understand the basic things like prisoner's dilemma, you know, sunk costs. I-, I think it's important to be familiar with those elements, even if only, um, you know, on the surface levels, because those type of things are going to come up. That helps you properly cost cards and actions. Mm-hmm. And I actually use an Excel spreadsheet for most of my games, like that they start off as, you know, like I give them kind of arbitrary costs, mm-hmm. but I'm actually at the point now where <laughs> like, I'm not doing like deep machine learning or anything, but uh, you, there's some, like some automated ways that you can assign costs and, and weight them. And obviously you need to play it out because, yeah. you know, it could, it's an arbitrary scale to begin and eventually it's going to smooth out. But,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and sometimes things that are, you know, balanced on paper, are hilariously broken or hilariously terrible, like in, in execution
0: so what's one of those that, that you've, you've found
1: well for hero brigade my very first game like it, it started off as a spreadsheet and everything had powers and uh one character uh he has five hit points but according to the original spreadsheet he should actually have six but it turns out even with that just one extra hit point he's just you know hilariously overpowered and you, you wouldn't think that would make a ton of difference but the way that you know all the different cards came out the way the surgery does and uh, the base like attack card against his type does five damage Putting him from five to six so that mm-hmm. he can survive multiple hits—it it made him just like <laughs> like insane. So that's the kind of thing that you know, if you're not uh, you know assigning proper costs and like in a standalone like equation, like his his total point value was okay at six hit points, but that was in a vacuum. When you take yeah. into account that you know the damage card against him does five, putting him at six, you uh, makes it makes a world of difference. Okay. Sorry I know that was like really tough yeah but. no
0: no, no, I love that kind of stuff. I think that that's that kind of like uh just information about like just how these games work on the back end is is really yeah. cool.
1: I think it probably comes more naturally to some people they don't need the spreadsheet like they see it in their head mm-hmm. and i will start off that way too, but uh for me i, I guess it's comforting to know that there's some math behind it, even if it's kind of arbitrary as uh, designations for variables or assignments but uh it, it's comforting to me to see okay you know this this is kind of balanced, right
0: mm-hmm. I see yeah point no point. For, for sure. <laughs> just being able to see it, it's like, I'm, I calculated this. this is just about balance, but then you, you just have to take the perception of the of the players into in okay, account as well. Yeah. so
1: And sometimes that'll happen too. You know as the designer, there's a way that this can be broken, this can be exploited. it's really good. But players are not necessarily going to see that. You know when you have a big enough game, like say Magic the Gathering, pe- people will discover those. but even even in magic, you have examples of combos that people discovered you know years later because a card that comboed with it didn't come out yet, or it had some kind of hidden use that, that didn't seem worth it at the time.
0: Hmm. So
1: it, it's neat to have those things out there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's the players. They're, they're the ones who are going to break your game, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm okay with that for adventure tactics, because the customization is so open. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have your mid-maxers. You're going to have your character optimizers. Like I, I was one back in the day for in D&D, especially yep. fourth edition. Like fourth edition was built for mid-maxing. Yeah. So it, it's going to happen. But I think that the game is also accessible enough that you don't have to do it because there's different levels of success. There's different uh, different difficulty levels. You don't have to play the game that way if you don't want to. And the, but the people who mm-hmm. want to play that go for it.
0: Mm-hmm. So actually, I had one question about the uh, adventure tactics mm-hmm. hands. Are they? This is something that came up in, in one of my co-op games uh, pretty recently. Is your hand hidden from everyone else? Are you allowed to share your hand or talk about what you have?
1: I mean, we don't spell down the rules, but I, I would say it's shared information if you want to talk about it. There's no rule saying you can't.
0: Um, okay.
1: One of the things is, and I assume you mentioned that because quarterbacking can be an issue, right? You have one yes. person, like an alpha gamer, who tries to take over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you have enough you know, action independence in adventure tactics, but you're never going to be able to 100% escape that you know, alpha gamer who wants to tell you what to do. Uh, the best solution for that, for, you know, for these pure co op games, is don't invite that guy to that game. Like, he might be a great friend, and he might be fun to play other games with, but that kind of person can really ruin a a co-op game. And for the longest time, I was that guy. I didn't realize it, but (laughs) I was that guy. It was a harsh self-realization. I'm like, oh, okay, no, I I need to let people play on their own. And that came out in Settles of Multiverse, like,
0: so, like, I realized that
1: I, I was that guy, like. The lesson is: don't be that guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, coming from uh, a, a former uh, quarterbacker, now right. <laughs> now reformed, right?
1: Yeah, reformed, reformed uh, alpha quarterback or Co-op quarterback.
0: All right. Well, so and so, Adventure Tactics is out right now on Kickstarter. Definitely go over to Kickstarter and check that out. It looks amazing. So, uh, if you like these kinds of dungeon crawling games, go for it. And now let's, uh, let's end on uh, a sweeter note uh, with a question that we like to ask uh, most of the people that we interview. What is your favorite donut? Favorite donut? It's
1: got to be um, apple fritter. I'm going to go with apple fritter.
0: Oh, that's a good one. That is definitely a good
1: Especially, one. Especially uh, with cider. Apple fritter cider. Like I know it's weird like apple, uh, apple with apple, but trust me, it's great.
0: <laughs> I mean, you can just get apple multiple ways. That's, that's yeah, a good that's
1: thing. I, yeah, more apple.
0: Alrighty, well, Nicholas, you, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this episode of Dragon's Demise. It was really great talking to you. Absolutely. We're really looking forward to checking out Adventure Tactics on Kickstarter.
1: Thanks for having me, Jacob.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Dragon's Demise.